1: And $30 off your first box when you go to WildGrain.com slash Pantsuit. That's WildGrain.com slash Pantsuit. Or you can use promo code Pantsuit at checkout.
0: Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where a woman from the right and
1: a woman from the left accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. hi this is sarah holland from the left and beth silvers from the right welcome to another episode of pantsuit politics today we're really excited we're going to talk about iowa predictions because we're recording on sunday and we're also going to um talk about our own political experiences and i have an exciting announcement to make to make in this episode so should be a fun
0: one it should be. And we get to start with my favorite thing in the world, which is debate recap. <laughs> so um, we had a lot of people watching the Republican debate with us, it felt like, which I really appreciated and enjoyed on Twitter. Um, highs and lows for me. So I'll start with highs. Donald Trump wasn't there and it was fabulous. <laughs> it was like we were suddenly back on Earth. You know Oh, what I mean? it's so true. And I think that it pointed out. So my husband fell asleep and the next morning, (laughs) who could blame him? Who could blame him? The next morning, he was like, What'd you think? And I said, Chad, what is that thing called where a car is going really fast and another car gets behind that car and then just kind of coasting? Yes. Isn't that what Ted Cruz is doing? Yes. Without Donald Trump on stage, Ted Cruz, I thought just crumbled. I think it was a couple of things. One, I think he had like a bunch of canned jokes that fell really flat Mm -hmm. and he realized that they fell flat. And then Chris Wallace just shut him down. Shut him down. And then everyone was piling on him and you could just sort of like all of his smarmy kind of swagger. He just seemed deflated, Mm -hmm. Um, which didn't trouble me really. Like I was, I was good with that. So those were highs for me um and and I would also say I thought there were sections, not the entire debate, but I thought there were sections where there were actual debate questions and actual policy differences being discussed, and I found that very refreshing. yeah, um there was an exchange uh between Rand Paul and Marco Rubio on foreign policy that I thought was enlightening, like I thought you listened to them and you heard their positions and thought okay, I understand what I'm getting with each of these guys now. And so, boy, that was new and, and refreshing. I thought Rubio did not do well. I thought Rubio did not do well either. I thought Rubio and Christy had just Iowa in their heads mm-hmm. to the point that it just became like the panderiest pandering of yeah. all panderdom.
1: It was like pander fest. It was not, I was not a fan. Oh, that Jesus. So for anybody who didn't watch the debates, Marco Rubio got asked if he was going to be the savior of the Republican Party. And he looked into the camera and said, well, there's only one savior. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came from heaven and died for our sins.
0: And it was painful.
1: It was awful. It was so I like looked around me like, you know how you like look, you're like, wait. Is, am I am I on un- punt? <laughs> what happened? What was that? And Chris Christie had this awful remark about what was the question?
0: It was such a softball. The question yeah. was about waste in government. Where would you start in eliminating waste and in government? And he said to defund Planned Parenthood.
1: Seriously? And then and then was it Chris Wallace? Somebody the whoever the moderator was basically like gave him another chance to give a, an actual Answer, and he was like, "Well, I think the thousands of children murdered in their mothers' wombs. This is the most important." Ugh. Uh-huh. You know what?
0: Here's here's where I am. Like, I think I'm done with Chris Christie after this debate. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I could vote for him today after seeing that. And I don't think he means a word of it. And yeah, I think that's, that's why things. I feel even more conviction about like it. He's supposed to be. The guy who says, "Listen, you don't have to like what I'm saying, but I'm going to tell it like it is," and then to pull that at the at the debate right before the Iowa caucuses, I thought it was really disgusting.
1: Well, and he did a lot of this like, "I ah, am the." Pr-, he kept first of all, he kept talking about how he was a prosecutor. When I think it sells better if you're the governor who's like been in this liberal state, and made people trust you, and blah, blah, blah. Like, work that angle. I don't know why you're so hip on the prosecutor angle. And he kept saying he was going to go after Hillary Clinton, and Hillary Clinton has been disqualified. He said it like 50, 100 times. Disqualified from the presidency. And I'm just like, no, no one. I mean, I don't understand that. I don't understand trying to go to that point. I don't understand, you know, I'm going to send Hillary Clinton to jail. What? And also, it was really weird the way he phrased it right after somebody asked him about Bridgegate. And he was like, well, basically, my first thing when I go to office is I'm going to prosecute Hillary Clinton. And I was like, really? After, After the Bridgegate question, I don't really think your best selling point is I'm going to go after legal, you know, legal options against my former opponent. I just don't think that's your best selling point.
0: Can we take a side detour here and just talk for a second about Hillary Clinton email? Not too long, but just, okay, let's put aside like all of the merits or lack thereof of that whole situation. Pure political strategy. Mm -hmm. Don't you think the Republicans would be much better off kind of refusing to talk about it? Like, I think their willingness to pile on makes it seem so much more trivial and like a political issue. If they said, look, I really am not going to discuss this because there's an ongoing investigation. The Justice Department has this. I trust our Justice Department and and we'll see what happens. Doesn't Mm -hmm. that sound more serious than them talking about it all the time? She's
1: disqualified from the presidency. Yes, absolutely. I think it's
0: so weird. I feel like if you threw the words FBI and Justice Department around all the time and refused to say anything else about it, it would spook people a lot Mm -hmm. more than what they're doing.
1: Although, who was the former Tom DeLay did you see yeah. this? Tom, for anyone who didn't see this, and oh, i so jealous of you, Tom DeLay implied that somebody at the FBI told them that an um, indictment of Hillary Clinton was imminent. And so then, like, some of my conservative friends were like, well, she's going to be indicted. I'm like, okay, hold up. Tom DeLay dropping a rumor means less than nothing. It means less than nothing.
0: Didn't Tom DeLay get indicted? I mean. Yeah. Chad texted me that. He was like, Tom DeLay says Hillary Clinton's going to be indicted. I was like, how does Tom DeLay know? <laughs> like, Come on. Because he's been indicted before and he's like got the inside track. No,
1: no <laughs> you're not a trustworthy source. Everybody calm well, down.
0: Well, so back to the debate and some decent moments. Like, I thought this was the best Jeb Bush we've seen. And I can't decide if he was actually that much better or it was that we were able to notice because we didn't have the Trump sideshow happening. But well, I thought I mean, it was ca- finally he, the Jeb I wanted to see.
1: He was, he was in command a couple times. I do think that he was a little clunky when he was calling it the YouTube. And I posted on our Facebook page that he had a moment that just, as we say in the South, stuck in my crawl. Um, <laughs> it just, he got a question from a YouTube, um, really insightful question from a um, YouTube channel star who was basically like, I served in the army, on Muslim, and I feel unsafe because of some of the rhetoric coming from your candidates. And he they started by saying, this beautiful woman deserves our respect. And I just thought, why did you have to say that? Why did the first thing out of your mouth have to be that she was beautiful? It really really bothered me and because I kept thinking about this article that I read about Bernie Sanders and this woman described him as having a tenure on gender for similar reasons like he'll only talk about family leave and he'll talk about mothers need to take family leave and he you know he doesn't kind of when he's talking about kids going to college he also always uses he and she kind of like said you know people call me this PC shrew but like It's not that I think he's a bad person for saying that, or I think Jeb Bush is this raging sexist, but I think it indicates a lack of understanding or a lack of willingness to pursue gender and a real understanding of gender when you speak like that. And it just, uh, it kind of upsets me.
0: It was super unfortunate, especially because I think everything he said after that was really great. Yeah, it was. But I like got
1: lost at the the YouTube and the beautiful woman.
0: And you know what? He just is clunky on some things. He is. And, and I don't, I give him a little bit of grace. You know, this has Mm -hmm. been a really brutal process for him. Talk about somebody waking up and saying, boy, this is not what I expected. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, so I get it. But as I said, in this discussion that we had on Facebook about the beautiful comment, I do think that if you're running for president, you should have someone coaching you on those things. You can't be perfect at everything, yeah. but that sort of thing should be important enough to you that someone works with you on it. Um, and I'm sure that he kicked himself later. I mean, I, I do think for the most part, he tries to be more inclusive than in other candidates. Um, I guess
1: that when I, when you say that though, what I think in my head is it's just, you know, I'm to the point where I just, I don't want a president that has to be coached on gender issues. I don't I don't I mean not to get on my I want a female president soapbox because I mean we're on Iowa and I'm all jazzed up for a reason I'll talk about in a minute (laughs) but yeah I don't I I, it's we're half the population I don't want you to have to be coached on it I want you to get it
0: well I get it but but you know what there's always going to be a a pool of things that the president's going to have to be coached on. You know, I I would say the same thing about, you know, I don't want our president to have to be coached on how to use technology, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and almost everyone in the running. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody that that to be coached on that category. You know? Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I thought overall, if you put that moment aside, I thought that it was a good night for Jeb. Yeah, I did. And, And it put me in the position that I've wanted to be in for this whole cycle of saying, if I had to vote for, if I had to vote tomorrow, I would vote for Jeb. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I do think he distinguished himself as the most proficient on the issues. Um, Slate had a piece, I think it came out today, it might have been yesterday, talking about how embarrassing um, some of the foreign policy discussion was in the debate. Now, it was way one-sided and there was a lot of it that i was just like rolling my eyes like come on with the bias but that's fine um the the criticism leveled at jeb though was so minimal compared to everyone else and it Mm -hmm. had to be because you can disagree with him all day long but he does know what he's talking talking about about. well Um,
1: i think too that Rand paul did well i think he did what he's supposed to do at these debates which is bring a really great perspective push the discussion he he. I I liked almost everything he had to say, except for the end when he said that Hillary Clinton was disqualified from being a champion for women because her husband cheated on her, which is another low point,
0: troublesome, low
1: point. real troublesome, and also completely and totally illogical. We are all, you know, victims of a patriarchal and racist society. To say that you cannot. Advocate for change if you are in the slightest influ- influenced by that same society is problematic.
0: Did you see Meet the Press today? I thought Rand Paul was excellent. On he Meet really the can. Press this morning. He can do so well. He really can.
1: I don't have. Was... I was terrified of him when he was first elected. Really, though. I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to vote for him for re-election, but I'm also. Not gonna, you know, like lay down in front of a truck to stop him either.
0: I'm not interested in him being the president, but I do really like him. You know, you sent me that link to I side with, and I had already taken the, the little quiz that's been going around on Facebook. Um, and I cited the most, I have lots of problems with this, this quiz and how it's set up, yeah, but I cited kind of the me. most with Rand Paul, um, which doesn't surprise me a whole lot because I do have kind of a libertarian bent in some ways and, and I appreciate him. I agree with you. I thought he was the best counterpoint To create that actual debate in the Mm -hmm. whole discussion.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how I feel about him in the Senate. Like, I like that he's there making these points.
0: I totally agree. I think he's a great senator. Well, so it was overall, I think, a good debate. It bothered me that the debate coverage was like, basically, it was boring and there were no breakout moments. It made me realize that by breakout moment, I think people mean basically the political equivalent of tabloid moment, Mm -hmm. because I thought there were breakout moments, especially in that the Jeb Bush was so much stronger, but no one wants to report that, I guess, when there's Donald Trump down the street with, with Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum weirdly showing up as well to purportedly raise money for veterans. Did you see that, that Huckabee and Santorum went over there? No. Oh, in the undercard debate, they were asked about it. and I Santorum also forgot that like, they were
1: still running.
0: Well, yeah, they were. And and I did watch part of the undercard debate, and we won't talk about it because I don't have anything nice to say. <laughs> but um, We've lost no, our nuance on the undercard debate. We have. So, that, so he was asked about the fact that he planned to go over to the Trump thing, and Santorum was like, well, I'm not doing anything at 9 o'clock, and I was asked to be there, and I'm happy to help raise money for soldiers, and so off I go. I mean, it was so... Weird. And my cockabee basically said the same thing the day after when I saw him interviewed and I thought, You guys are so shameless. Like you're now you're trying to draft, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's bizarre. And then
1: Carly lost her mind and we're not even gonna talk about it.
0: Oh I'm just so sad about that. She's just gonna we're just gonna have to pretend she's not
1: running anymore.
0: Alright, so You had an experience relevant to the Iowa caucuses. So let's talk about that and then what we think is going to happen Monday night.
1: So it was so exciting on Facebook. My friend posted, okay, I've decided she lives in Iowa. I've decided to caucus for the first time. So Bernie and Hillary people lay out your best case. And I got on Facebook and I was like, look, this is too much for a Facebook comment. I'm going to need a phone call. And so (laughs) she called me and I just felt like I was like in the caucus room trying to get her to my side. I felt like I was participating in democracy. I spent like a half an hour on the phone with her just laying out the case for my girl. And I felt like I would did a pretty good job. I felt like my case was strong. I said, do you, I, ta- I started off and I was like, okay, do you want like the global why I think she's important generally? Do you want to know what I think about her as a person? Like I could do it all, but just like, what's more important to you? <laughs> so she, she was like, well, you know, you worked for her. I want to hear about that. So I kind of talked about, you know, how I think she works harder and how, you know, everybody adores her. I never saw her ugly or nasty to anybody. She set a really positive tone for all her staff and, you know, she's not a prima donna and all this kind of stuff and then we talked about um kind of the importance of a female president and her particular strengths and I mean, I just I really did. I felt like I was like in the caucus room trying to get her on my side. Now her husband is coxing for Bernie and so is her mom, but her little boys support Hillary. So we'll see what happens. I'm actually not worried about, we're getting, I'm skipping ahead to the predictions, but I'm not so much worried about Hillary in Iowa. But anyway.
0: You know, if I did not have a seven month old baby, I would be so tempted to get on a plane and go to Iowa tomorrow to try to just observe this. Cause I think the caucus process I do too. is fascinating. So
1: it's like a jury room. It's so I, I've always wanted to be on a jury and it just sounds fun. I just love the idea of like well, you know, we, you and I were both talking about this, that we like the like <laughs> to dive in deep with people. And that's probably why the caucus appeals yeah. to us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. We'd be the people that are making everybody else like, oh, God. I just want to go home and watch NCIS. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be like, no, no, we can
1: talk about it some more. Nobody leave.
0: Well, so what do we think is going to happen? So let me just say we did a little poll on our Twitter feed. And 75% of the people who voted on our poll think that Hillary Clinton is going to take it home. 40% say Trump on the Republican side. But it was kind of close. 33% Rubio. No, 33% Cruz, 13% Rubio, and 14% other. Because Twitter only lets you poll for four options – and I think that's a very good indication of the fact that we have too many Republicans running for president at this well, point. Well, I we think that our on listeners
1: and Twitter followers are super smart and are reading five thirty eight, which um, pretty much just tells you what's going to happen in my experience with past elections. And, um, yeah, Nate Silver is saying that he's given Hillary, a, I think it was like cl- close to 75, 76 percent chance of winning Iowa. So I think my girl's going to bring it home tomorrow.
0: It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's, you know, it's so cliche to say that it's all about turnout, but it really kind of is in this one, you know, especially with Trump. I saw on Meet the Press, again, um, an interview of some people who were planning to caucus for Trump. They've lived in Iowa their entire lives, have never caucused before. Wow! And so the discussion is like, well, Do they show up or not? And it's hard for me to imagine that they don't. People are standing in lines for hours to go to his events. Like, they can't go to their local school for a couple hours on a Monday night. I, You know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But we will, of course, have full coverage of it on our Friday briefcase.
1: Well, you know, my sincere prayer tonight will be, that the polls are correct for Hillary Clinton, because she is a traditional political candidate and is running a traditional campaign, and that the poll, then those are supposedly what the polls are in theory good at predicting, and that they will be terrible at predicting, because Nate Silvers is also saying that Donald Trump will win Iowa, and that they're terrible at predicting that, and that all these people will not show up. But the problem is, is if even if they don't, then we're stuck with Cruz. I mean,
0: well, I want to challenge that a little bit. I think Marco Rubio and Rand Paul are both going to exceed the very low expectations in place for them in Iowa. Um, I think Rand Paul is right when he says that. The people he has are committed. They're not reached by traditional polling measurements. I mean, I I think he could come out stronger than anyone thinks. I don't think he's going to win. How did his dad do in Iowa and New Hampshire? I don't know. I think think the last election he was at like 22% in Iowa. Uh, So not great. But, I mean, Rand Paul would probably kill for 22% today, right? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. um, So I don't know what will happen there. And then... um, Let's see, Rubio is in third right now, but he polls as a lot of people's second choice. And the most recent polling indicates that a lot of people are still willing to move. And he's spending a lot of money and a lot of time in Iowa the past two weeks, more than anybody else. Hmm. So I think he's been smart in kind of downplaying the importance of Iowa to him so that he can come out looking good, even if he's in third. But I think it's possible that he could be second. So we'll see. I'm excited to talk about this again on Friday when we know the outcome.
1: You know what? I'm excited to wait that long. Yeah, I know. Maybe we'll put together a special episode. You never know. Um, I am excited that I feel like we're at the beginning of the end of the primary. Like, I feel like once a primary actually starts, I can see the light at the tunnel. You know what I mean? I just, Mm -hmm. I'm done with this. I'm done with it. I'll be honest.
0: I don't really get done with it. I, I, I think that I would feel more done with it if I felt more comfortable with where this could land. Mm-hmm. But on the Republican side, it still feels wide open to me.
1: Yeah, I'm just done with it. In that, I'm I'm tired of fighting with Bernie Bros, and I'm ready for Hillary to be the nominee.
0: It's <laughs> not been to sound. So I don't want to be too. I feel
1: like I want to tempt Murphy's
0: Law or anything. But past couple days on Twitter, I feel like the language has amped up so much mm-hmm. between the bernie and hillary people well the
1: bernie like the bernie campaign came out and was like stop being you guys have to stop being like this like stop being sexist and disrespectful like follow his lead he is always respectful you can't talk to be like this i will say that though that we have a really wonderful twitter follower who is a big bernie supporter and he's like the most polite person on the planet so i'm not speaking of all camp bernie bernie bros and you know several of my closer friends close friends are bernie supporters and are very nice but on the other hand, some of them are can be real nasty.
0: And we have some Hillary people that we follow who are are pretty hardcore yeah. too. I mean, I would I would say that it's uh from both sides getting getting hot in here hot. as they say. Well, so. I feel like the Hillary
1: people are like me like, "Oh no, we will not this will not happen again." Like <laughs> just they have some post-traumatic stress going on here <laughs> from last time.
0: And it's so funny because you know, the Trump people are just heinous in their treatment of women on Twitter, right? All the articles about Megyn Kelly and the misogyny directed at her. But I feel like among the rest of the candidates, everybody's like, eh, he's okay. I mean, yeah. there's not, there's just not that I will die if this doesn't turn out this way passion w- that you see on the Democratic side.
1: I will say this, though, um, as our final wrap up on the debate, Megyn Kelly looked Oh, phenomenal and yes she, she was a very good moderator and i don't mean to be to emphasize her appearance but seriously girl looked amazing i feel like she was like making a point that's how good she looked
0: so um i my favorite tweet from not one of our listeners for the whole debate was somebody and i i can't remember who it was said i feel like a wallace kelly administration would take no shit from anyone <laughs> i was like <laughs> i think you are
1: right about that yeah Yeah, that hair. I mean, and her hair just looked like, don't mess with me tonight. Like, I felt like that was her look. Like, she had, like, a
0: theme. But you know what? She didn't. I mean, she could have made this all about her, and she didn't. No. She was just Megyn Kelly, Mm -hmm. you know, as she always is. So I thought that was impressive, too. So
1: in our next segment in the suit, we're going to move on to my big announcement and um, Beth and I's personal journey into politics. Oh, you had a big week I did i have a I had a big week and I have a big announcement um a week ago when this podcast comes out, so a week ago on Monday, I filed to run for city Commission in my hometown of Paducah, Kentucky.
0: If we had like an applause track, it would go here. Nope, Yay. Nicholas,
1: put in an applause track. <laughs> um yeah, it's really exciting. Um I had been thinking about running for city Commission for a while and I sat down with a woman who was on the city commission who's been sort of a mentor to me and a couple months ago and said, This is what I'm thinking about, but I just I can't bear the thought of running against you. I know like your women are supposed to be more ruthless, supposed to be like man, a man would run anyway, but I'm not gonna do that. And so uh I just want you to, you know, get your opinion on if you think there's anything else I could run for in the meantime, you know, all the stuff. And she looked at me and said, Well, funny story. I don't think I'm gonna run again. <laughs> so she um, chose to retire for, and not seek another term for the city commission and that left an open seat and I decided that was my chance. Um, Me along with, wait for it, let's see, I guess nine, yeah, like 10, no, eight other people are running for this open seat. So. That's a
0: lot of people for one seat.
1: A lot. Well, that's not really accurate. So there's one open seat. There's four seats total one open seat, three incumbents that are going to run again. So it's technically four seats up for grabs, but there's three incumbents. So that's why I'm saying one open seat. Okay. And so it's a nonpartisan race. So there's 12 um, people running and um, three incumbents included in the 12. And it's been very exciting so far. On Thursday, we drove – we drew for the ballot positions, and we did one drawing, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I have to be in the first eight, because, like, all these people who might come through and just, you know, check the first eight, like, I have to be in the first eight, It was like, had myself all psyched up, and then they drew the names. I was seven. I'm like, okay, I'll take that, and then we realized there was a name that got left in the envelope. We had to draw all over again, and now I'm in position number 10, <laughs> and there's somebody else named Holland. It's been full of drama, let me tell you. So... um. But I think it's gonna be really great and I'm really excited. We have one of my dear friends is running for mayor and there's a really exciting discussion about that. There's a lot of debate. It feels like it's sort of the next generation of leadership in Paducah is start is stepping up and saying, Hey, you know, we have ideas about how things should go and we're really excited about the future of the city and we're ready to step up and lead. So I think it's gonna be a really exciting period of debate around Um, Paducah and what's coming next and I'm really excited to get out there you know I'm a people person so I'm super excited about going out there and listening to everybody's ideas and sharing my own ideas and talking about um, what's important to the people of Paducah and meeting um, a bunch of new people and taking my kids and strollers and knocking doors I think it's gonna be fun
0: well so this is kind of a culmination of a a lot of things for you do you want to just back up and talk about sort of when you got interested in running for office and kind of how you've been moving in that direction? Uh, Well, we can go by the way, way back machine. So when I was in high school, I used to think like, I loved
1: actors and actresses. And at the time, I don't even remember like why, but I was like particularly obsessed with Barbara Streisand. (laughs) And even at the, even though at the time in high school, I was incredibly conservative and as just a fun treat for our listeners I will post in the show notes a editorial I wrote for my high school newspaper calling for Bill Clinton's resignation just for the just for the laughs I'll really one of my favorites (laughs) yeah I'll I'll share that with everybody Um, and so at the time I I, I realized though that I thought maybe I wanted to be an actress or be in entertainment or something and I thought no I think I just like that that what I liked about Barbara Streisand in particular is that she was so involved in politics and I thought I think that's what I actually like about all of this And so I went to Transy and that's where my political beliefs took a 180. And I went from being a conservative Southern Baptist Republican to a (laughs) super liberal, uh, Democrat, less liberal than in college. I mean, I was like protesting at old navies in college, so I've mellowed in my old age, but, um, kind of did a 180 and decided I wanted to work in politics. It was a political science major, um, Went and worked for Planned Parenthood in North Carolina. Then when I went to DC, um, even during law school, I interned for Ben Chandler. Then I interned for a professor who was running for office. I never even like interned in law firms or anything. I never practiced law. And so then uh, after I graduated, I worked for Hillary Clinton's um, candidacy. Last time, I did research and advance work for her, which was really awesome. Like working with the secret service and getting there before she came and being one of the few people in the room with her. It was really, really a uh, really great experience. And then worked for Senator Menendez from New Jersey um, until I moved back to Paducah. And honestly, I think in my head, I just, you know, always running for office was something I wanted to do, but it was always something sort of in the, the way, way off. And I, I guess I was just waiting for somebody to come up to me and be like, you would be wonderful for this. Why don't you run for office? And what happened instead is I watched a really, really great documentary that I recommend to everyone called Raising Miss President President by a filmmaker in in Kentucky. Her name is Kylie Lane. And it's just a really great film. And it talks about all the reasons that women don't run for office. We think we're, you know, they we say things like, oh, well, we sh- we're better in the, you know, the backstage area. We just want to help. We're better at that. kind. Of- we don't really want to be up front. Or we say what I was telling myself was I need to be older. I need to be have more work experience. I need to, you know, start at these really far low levels down or whatever and work my way up. And, you know, in the movie, they taught this woman talks about, like, men don't think these things. Men, you know, men don't ever men think somebody says, Hey, you thinking about running for office? Or would you like to run for this? And they're like, sure. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Okay. That'd be great. We'll do it. Like they way, you know, women way overestimate what is required to run for office, especially like local positions. And so I thought, man, it's, I thought all these were my kind of personal reasons for not running, but they just were so global and they were just being said by all these people in this film is like not good enough reasons basically. And so I thought, okay. And, for several years, people had been mentioning to me this program called Emerge, and we were so lucky to have a really fabulous program run from run by Jennifer Moore in Kentucky, and it's a dem- it's a political training program for Democratic women considering office. And so I applied, I got a scholarship, and I went and I did the training, and it was so phenomenal. It was, you know, just one of the most amazing experiences. It really makes you understand what's required. They train you on field organizing. They train you on fundraising. And, you know, luckily for me, that's the most intimidating part for a lot of women. But I will ask anybody for anything at any time because, as my stepfather says, the worst they can say is no. So that part's not very intimidating for me. And, um... In fact, if anybody would like to go for to Holland for Paducah and donate to my campaign, you can do so right now, and I will go, happily accept your donation. But anyway, um, so I did emerge, and it was just a really positive experience. And you pledge when you sign up for emerge that you'll run for office in five years, and here we are two years later, and I have filed for city commission. So they did a good job. <laughs>
0: Well, I think it's so exciting. And I'm just so happy for you. And I think you should check out Sarah's campaign website, because she's really set it up in a nice way and has these great videos. And um, I'm just excited to see what happens for you. I think it's awesome. It's really been fun. And I, and there's a part of me, as much as I've kind of had so many
1: experiences with the political establishment, um, you know, I listened to a speech at our chamber of commerce this weekend about sort of generational guideposts. And I really identify so much with part of the millennial generation and pushing things and changing things and can't we do this different. And there's a part of me that sort of is really pushing against the idea of what a candidate should do and what you should expect from a candidate. I mean, I don't think there are a lot of candidates out there that do a political podcast twice a week. Um, But, you know, I, I really like the idea of being somebody that's very transparent and who says, look, this is what I think. And this is what I believe. And I could try to hide these things from you, but I don't really want to. And I could try to be this neutral, not make anybody mad kind of public, you know, kind of politician, but I'm not really interested in that either. I've already gotten a lot of flack from the internet trolls in Paducah who love the fact that as, as you know, living in a conservative area, love the fact that I got on my blog and talked about how much I liked Bernie Sanders. Um, They were not a fan, actually. But, you know, I've also had so many people that know me personally that say, you know, look, I'm conservative, I'm Republican, but I don't think anybody will work harder for Paducah. And I think that you have a really great vision for our city. And, you know, that means so much to me that people can see that, you know, there's something bigger going on here. And there is a way to be nuanced. And there is a way to be sort of, you know, nonpartisan in this space and And see in each other that that we all want to go to the same place. And let's just try to get there together. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot slash Pantsuit. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses,
0: It is amazing to me in local races how people will get all exercised about how someone feels about, I don't know, abortion or gay marriage or something. It's like, no, you need to ask how they feel about parks. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's what this is about. Yeah. So
1: how do I feel about the fire department or road improvements?
0: (laughs) Well, and I I just think, you know, and this goes back to the conversation that we had with with Kristen Soltis-Anderson I really think as voters at every level, we have to start caring more about leadership and problem solving. Mm-hmm. And and I think you have both of those things. Obviously, I'm a hundred percent supportive of your campaign. If I lived in Paducah, I would be all over <laughs> all over it, and anything I can do remotely, I I will do. So good for you.
1: So what what is your perspective on running for office and your kind of? history of being a, a a political animal, as they say?
0: Yeah. You know what? I don't really have much of a history. So um, I was not super political uh, growing up. I think I was always interested in what was going on in the news um, to an extent. But I was mostly just addicted to achievement. Mm-hmm. And so my high school and college days were like filled with every extracurricular activity I could cram in and taking on a leadership position in every extracurricular activity. Beth, I was,
1: Beth was the president of our sorority.
0: And I was elected as a sophomore. Like, oh, that's crazy. Is that right, Dang. That's right. I was wow. elected as a sophomore as the president of the sorority. In my junior year, I was the head of the RA staff while also being the president of the sorority, which by the way, that's a bad combination. No <laughs> Don't one do that do ever. Don't do that, young women. Um, and that's the thing like I sort of by the time I was 20, I was sort of burnt out, which is like yeah. sad, but it's true for me. Um, so I think I just went through um, a little bit of a period of ambivalence about a lot of things. And then, you know, I was, I went straight from college into law school and in law school, I sort of hunkered back down into my achievement addiction, but this time it felt a lot more real to me because, um, the legal market wasn't as tough as it is today then, but you know, it was already starting to get pretty tight, like Mm -hmm. getting a good job that made the investment of law school worth it was, was difficult. And so, um, once I got out of law school, it was almost the first time that I sort of had permission to say, what do I even enjoy? Mm-hmm. Because everything to that point had just been building a resume for I don't know what. Um, so that's when I started to discover that politics is something that I really enjoy and, and being just an observer, a reader, a voter, an informed citizen. So I have not done, um, any kind of fundraising or support of a campaign beyond just, you know, being a passive sort of donor, um, or someone who talks to others about her beliefs. Um, I've been looking for sort of what's the right thing for me. I don't know, I don't know what that is. I sitting here today. I do not have any interest in running for office myself. Now that could change, I suppose. I mean, I'm a very different person at almost 35 than I was at 25, and so you know what I look like at 45. I don't know, but um, right now that just doesn't feel authentic to me. And maybe mm-hmm. it's for some of the reasons that you discussed that that aren't good enough in um, the raising Mrs. President context. Can I just be honest with you? Like, there is nothing that I hate more than a happy hour. Um, (laughs) my personal hell would be just an endless happy hour. I think like I, I don't enjoy connecting in like a small talk way. I, I am terrible at asking people for things. I'm great at that in a professional context. Like I'm a great coach. I'm really good at developing relationships with people and then trying to like pull their best out of them in a way that they feel good about in a way that benefits an organization. I cannot imagine saying, hey, please donate to my campaign. And, you know, I could get over that if I I could do that on someone else's behalf on my own. I would struggle. I could certainly overcome that. I just don't know that I want to. I, I would love to work for people or ideas or organizations that I feel strongly about. And that's yeah. kind of where I am right now. Um, I, I also just, you know, there's a part of me that thinks in today's Republican party, would I be a viable candidate? I, I don't know. I So
1: you should be that's for dang sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm just not, I'm never going to be serving up the red meat and um, I hope that changes about the party. And that's what I, that's where my heart is. Like I would love to work Toward just changing the image and the substance of the Republican Party, and in that way, doing this podcast is the thing that currently feels like the most authentic way I can use my perspective and voice, and it makes me feel very vulnerable. And we've talked about this a little bit before that I don't have this long political resume because uh, everything in my life is about resumes. One <laughs> and and two. You know what we do is so personal. Um, I think what makes me know that this is a good thing for me and for us is that when we get some criticism, I don't get that like pitted, pitted my stomach like scared sort of feeling um, that I get in everything else in my life when I'm criticized. Like here, I just feel very comfortable saying nope this is what we're doing. This is how we feel about it. And I appreciate feedback. I want to get better and grow, but you're just going to disagree with me about some things and that's fine. And so, uh, this is a good thing for me. I'm interested in exploring more, learning more thinking and writing, but, um, you're not going to see my name on a ballot anytime soon. Well, here's the funny thing is a a couple of things about what you said. One is
1: I have this long resume that I have to like bury the lead because nobody wants to hear like Washington DC or worked for the Congress or, you know, <laughs> oh, <interesting. Yeah. laughs> because it's got such a bad reputation. So I can't even like, you know, the first thing I talk about, which actually is very important to the next point I was going to make is that I'm a fifth generation Paducan. Pa- yeah. Paducan, I think is what we've decided to call it. But, um, you know, what's funny is that I when you talk about authentic, I mean that's a big reason I decided to move back to Paducah it was actually George W. Bush. And I think I've talked about this a little bit before, yeah. saying that he, you know, we don't meet, we don't pray for the ta- past task to meet our power, we pray pray for the power to meet our task. And I think that you know that's when I realized like I can't, I want to run and I can't, I will never be authentic running as like in Virginia or Maryland, like or it's never going to happen. Like the place I care about a place I'm passionate about the play and I couldn't even run as like a state house. Right. Now. I mean, I'm not saying I won't eventually, I'm very passionate about Kentucky. I love it. It's my home. But right now, you know, it's, I'm just so in it with Paducah right with my kids and our lives and our community. Like it just like, that's the only place that is a, is an authentic area in which I could run and that I really care about the vision and the future of what's going to happen there. But, um, the other thing I realized too after we had this conversation about small talk is when I went to that chamber event. I think the reason I can like, you know, in, sort of enjoy that situation is because if I wasn't going to be a politician in my next life, I would want to be a comedian, a stand-up comedian, and so I really enjoy small talk in that because I'm, I like to make people laugh, in kind of small talk situations. I have these kind of you know stories I tell and situations i talk about although my imposter syndrome kicks in and now i'm like people aren't gonna think you're serious because you're making them laugh you know <laughs> but then i think no and richards and then i don't worry about it anymore
0: well i think you just i think you know who you are and you always have you know going back to college like you have always been comfortable um kind of having everybody pay attention to you and i don't mean that in a negative way at all listen you wrote you grow up with red hair and glasses It just is what it is. People are paying attention. (laughs) There's no me,
1: there's no me like blending in. I'm not the student who's like, the teacher's not going to notice is there. Like I just had to own it. There was nothing I could change about it.
0: Well, and as much as I have always been in leadership positions, I think I've always done it in a way that's sort of like a plant, like it's kind of reliable, like you can count on it and it's there serving its purpose. But you know, if it moved nobody would notice too much. Um, <laughs> if it were gone, like we'd be okay. We'd continue. And I think that's just more my style. And and I'm good with that. You know, I, one of the things that I um, use as an example, when I talk about this all the time is I like to host parties, but only because of the moment when everything's out and people are having a good time and I can stand in the corner of the room and watch them and be like, I made this, but I don't really <laughs> want to interact. And I kind of want to have that moment and then go to bed. Um, so it's just, you know, we're all different people. We have to know who we are. That's the most important thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? Because here's
1: the, when you were talking about your leadership style and sorority, here's a fun fact. I lost everything I ever ran for in our sorority. Oh,
0: I didn't realize that everything.
1: Yeah. And see, I
0: had the moment that you were talking about of somebody calling me and being like, actually, so when I was a freshman, I was elected to be like the standards chair, which is the sort of keeper of the code of conduct, which, you know, that's not a good position for a freshman to have either. Yeah, that's true. um, But a senior just called me and was like, we need you to run for this position tonight at the election. And I was like, oh, all right. (laughs) And so I did. And then I won. And then there I was. And I don't know. It's just it's it's kind of – I'm a walking contradiction, I think. I'm a Republican yoga teacher and a, a leader who kind of functions like a houseplant. I know, there but I go. love it.
1: I love that we're both like that. You know, when I'm – when in Kristen – I told you in Kristen's book, she's like, married women who go to church every Sunday. Yeah. And and I'm like, that's me. I'm the married woman who goes to church every Sunday, and I'm also the crazy Democrat. Like, I just yeah. love it. I love that I – you know, I think people should get married before they have kids. I just think everybody should be able to get married. You know, like I like it
0: when we're all a nice little mix. Yeah, I think that's what we all are and and why this process um it, the current presidential cycle is as mixed up as it is cuz I think we're starting to sort that out. Now we're not mm-hmm. doing it in a very productive way today, but hopefully hopefully it'll shake out. Um, over time.
1: Oh, and it was so hilarious the other day. We I sat down with a friend of mine who took that I side with quiz to, speaking of people being uh, amalgamation. And she, I said, you are such a classic moderate. Like, it was so funny. Well, for the funniest part was she got Bernie Sanders and she considers herself a Republican and she about lost it. And wow. I thought it was hilarious, but she's super liberal on social issues. And so it's sort of not that surprising. I mean, she's... Um, you know, super liberal on gay marriage and a supportive of, is pro-choice. And she wanted like food labeling and just a couple other things. And hey, you get Bernie Sanders. But then the funniest thing was she had like Bernie Sanders. And then the next down was Hillary 72% and Jeb 71%. And I thought, and I said, you are the classic married swing voter mom. That's you mm-hmm. in a nutshell. Look at you right there with your 71 and 72%
0: your kids play soccer because that's where you are? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously.
1: I thought that was so interesting. But, I mean, that's there's a part of me that's really – this sounds crazy because, of course, I took I side with and I got 99% Hillary Clinton. The only thing we differed was I think pot should be totally legal and she thinks it should only be legal for health purposes. That was it. Um, But I kind of am, like, strangely envious of my friend and the way that she could – Like she can, could go both ways. Like, I don't know. I kind of, it seems more democratic. I kind of dig it. I mean, I'm not going to go back on some of my issues or beliefs, but I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, there's a part of me that's like, hmm, that's kind of neat to actually be, to actually see the process as somebody who wants to figure out who they're going to vote for, which is not, not really a way I experience the process.
0: Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. Yeah, I guess I feel like the Republican Party has so many different things going on in it that I feel that a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's you know? true.
0: That's true. Um, I was surprised when I took the I side with thing that I didn't have more in common with Democrats because I consider myself such a moderate. Um, But boy, I was only like in the 30s with really? Hillary Clinton. Yeah.
1: Well, actually, you know what? I think my closest, my closest
0: Republican was Kasich and it was 47%. And again, I have some like real objections to the way that's structured, mm-hmm. um, but, it, but it was interesting to Did you do the extension do. and like click down through all those other questions? See, I didn't do that. I did. Yeah. I wanted to see it all.
1: No, I didn't do that. So I wonder if mine would, I should go back and do it the whole, all the way,
0: just really bar- bury down in there. <laughs> and we'll put that link in the show notes and would love to hear from people on Twitter and Facebook, like how it goes for them and whether you think it's an accurate tool or not.
1: So next up on the heels, we're going to leave politics behind and talk about what is our favorite podcast that we listen to.
0: so um we're gonna talk a little bit about our favorite non-political podcast and um, I'll start today so I did I, I mentioned a second ago that I'm a Republican yoga teacher. And, um, I did my teacher training with Anna guest jelly who founded curvy yoga. I wanted to do the teacher training really just to learn more for myself. I have fibromyalgia and, um, I, I wanted to do teacher training so that I could kind of take my practice to the next level, but with an understanding of sort of like, the kind of unique challenges that I experience in my body. So everything that Anna Gaschelli was doing really appealed to me in that way. So she has a podcast called Love Curvy Yoga. And it's, you know, if you're a real political junkie, this is like the total other end of the spectrum. Um, It's it's just very peaceful to listen to. Um, But she does such a good job, I think, of taking what you learn in the body physically from yoga and saying, here's how this just applies in life in general. And, um, it's, it's, she is such a lovely human being and she is truly as nice in person as she seems in all of her social media, Um, even better actually in person. And so there's a connection for me because I've, I've spent time with her um, outside of the podcast, but I think what she's doing is really great. The episodes are like 20, 25 minutes um, and she, she gets very personal and and I just think it's wonderful. So
1: I'm not actually
0: beyond the
1: kind of, podcast everybody knows about, This American Life, Freakonomics. I'm not super dedicated to one podcast that I listen to, like, the day it comes out and I listen to it every week. And I feel really bad saying that as a podcaster, because our listeners are so good about that. But it's just the truth. Like, I jump around a lot. Like, some weeks I'll be interested in listening to parenting podcast and some weeks I'm like totally over it and I want to listen to something else so I jump around a lot but what I'm listening to right now that's really interesting is and I think I found this through Modern Mrs. Darcy because she's a big personality test person but I really love personality tests I think they're totally fascinating I like anything that I like self-growth and self-analysis and all the stuff we were Sort of getting at before, but so she recommended this personality hacker podcast, and they do like all these deep dives into the different Meyer Briggs types, which I took the Myers Briggs. Like every, our 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 college had you take the Myers Briggs, and you take it like your freshman year, and then you take it your senior year and mine had just only gotten more intense from my freshman year (laughs) my scores my scores had only etched up in every category but I did take it again recently I was the exact same score but my last like they weren't as strong like they were like 50 percent each one and my last one was only three percent but I'm an ENFJ do you know what your score is Beth I'm an INFJ and I knew you were going to be ENFJ that's amazing yeah (laughs) that's amazing in every way I'm so glad I picked this podcast right now just for that moment. So, <laughs> But listen, though, I'm really considering because I'm only a 3% J. So I, there's a little bit of me that like wants to go through and listen to all these like about the ENFP and see how applicable those are. I think that might be interesting. But anyway, so I'm an ENFJ and they do like personality type advice, personal growth, defense strategies. And they do like all these like serious deep dives into – um the different types of Myers-Briggs types. And so I'm really, I'm, I'm feeling it right now. I'm really enjoying it. I feel like I'm learning some things about myself. Like they were, what were they saying? Oh, they were saying the other day that, the, that ENFJ is really like harmony among people and like that they can, but the harmony driven part is like they can really discuss things that most people find very confrontational and very sort of stressful, but they're very laid back in the way they discuss those things. And I'm like, hey, that's me. Like, I can that be like, is you. Let's talk about abortion. Don't bother me at all. Not going to get upset unless you're a Bernie bro insulting my girl and then I'm going to get riled up. But I really think there's something deeper going on there. Um, and then they talked about. the the interesting part about an ENFJ is that they're also very driven by sort of cultural norms and like how you're supposed to act, which is sort of conflicting with the kind of laid back in the face of confrontation, but there's sort of different things going on there. And I've thought, man, that is me. Like I can, I feel laid back about certain things, but I will get sort of, I can be very rigid about kind of rules. I think everyone should, and that's another thing they talked about, like ENFJs will just look around and be like, why? I mean, obviously, this is how you should act. This is what makes everybody else Like, this is the rules of society. How can everybody not see that this is how we're supposed to act? And that is totally how I am. I'm like, look around you, people. Like, these are the rules. Why aren't you following the rules? That's me, Twigty.
0: Well, so if, if you're listening and haven't done Myers-Briggs before, there are four indicators of personality, and there are two choices for each of those four indicators. So there's I and um, e, so introvert and extrovert. And that's not what people think so Mm-mm. much. Like, It's not that an introvert is afraid to be out in public or something. It's about where you get your energy. So Sarah's an E, she gets her energy from other people. I'm an I, I get my energy from being alone. And then the second indicator, you're either a sensing person. So kind of external, and I'm not a psychologist. So like, I'm just giving you sort of my understanding of these things obviously. But um a sensing person is going to be more external in their orientation about like how they gather facts and consume information. An intuitive person, that's the in that we both are, um, is guided by their own kind of wisdom and internal compass. And I like that. And then, um, then there's T and F. So thinking versus feeling, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> and we're both on the F side of that. And then the last one is judging and perceiving, um, which is a little bit trickier, but I, I interpret it. And Sarah, chime in on this. I interpret it to mean more like how organized you are mm-hmm. about information and sort of, and not just information, but how organized you are about your personal feelings about information. Well, and it seemed like there was a lot of questions
1: about sort of like, how do you feel about spontaneity? How do you feel about, you know, changing things and using information to change things at the last minute? Or do you want things to sort of organize themselves into ways you've already discussed? I mean, it seemed like there was, when I was going through the questions to take it again, it seemed like sort of where the judging, perceiving things were coming down as well.
0: How much structure do you desire in a lot of different layers of life? So so I've always found that tool to be super helpful. I have been as consistent as the day is long since the first time I took it. And I'm always like definitively I and F and J. Like there's no sort of gray area. See, but I was like
1: when I just took. Now, this was just an internet quiz. It's not. I mean, I remember the one in co- the ones we took in college were like sort of big deals, and they took a while. Yes. But um, I was only fifty percent on the the first three. Fun fact: my husband is the exact opposite on every single indicator as me. So he's an I, S, T, P. It's
0: like letters I don't even recognize.
1: Yeah, he's the exact opposite.
0: I would guess that my husband is ISTJ. Um, but I would like to confirm that. (laughs) Yeah, it's really
1: fun. And there's all, I mean, there is, you could obviously do whole podcasts on it because people do. I mean, there's like how to parent as an ENFJ and what careers work. I mean, there's a, there's a whole world. Stephen Colbert did a really funny thing about his personality. He was an I,
0: I think he was an INFP or an INFJ. I don't remember. But, um, um, can I just say Stephen Colbert did an awesome thing about Donald Trump. Just to wrap us up here, did you see where he had Trump debate himself? No, I saw where he was picking
1: Simon and Garfunkel um, songs for everybody because Bernie did that America commercial. And so he picked songs for all the candidates. And, um, and, oh, now I've forgotten it, but he picked a hilarious one for Donald Trump. But I saw that
0: link to the debate, but I didn't actually watch it. It's so funny. And I thought that he was going to do like – you know, going back 10 years when Donald Trump used to be pro-choice and used to be for universal health care, but he took super recent things and oh, showed like, hilarious. you know, December to January, like he's, he's got a clip of, you know, Ted Cruz is such a great guy. I really like him too. Ted Cruz is nasty. No one will vote for Ted Cruz. It's, it's really, really funny. Oh. So uh we'll post that in the show notes too. And um as always, we want to thank our producer, Nicholas Holland, um, for, producing Pantsuit Politics and doing such a wonderful job for us. We hope that you will follow us on Facebook at Pantsuit Politics and on Twitter at Pantsuit Politic without an S.
1: And we forgot to mention at the opener to subscribe to our email list. I got a little excited about the debate predictions and skipped that part. So subscribe to our email list. It's pinned to the top of our Facebook and Twitter pages, and you can also find it on our website
0: yes and we will be back on friday or possibly before to talk if about we the just Iowa can't caucuses. stand it we, we just right. can't stand it we might be back but as you are discussing all these things we hope that you will continue to keep it nuanced y'all